era. Oh, look, here they are, the oldies now. And they used to have an advent crown or an advent wreath. And they used to light a candle every single week. This happens, of course, in thousands of churches up and down the land at this Advent period. And what it represents is Jesus, the light of the world that's come to our dark world. Jesus, light of the world. We're in the second week, can you see me? We're in the second week of Advent. And we're going to just celebrate each week something of the gift that the light of the world brings to us. And today we're going to focus on one subject. It's the subject of hope. Jesus, light of the world, brings hope. And I want to read to you from a passage in Romans chapter 8. I'm going to read from the message paraphrase. I believe this is a gift of God to the, the body of Christ, to the church. It says it in a different way, but says it so well, which really is possibly one of the most hope-filled passages you'll ever read in the Bible. And if you agree with anything that you hear me read, feel free to respond with a, that's lovely, or hallelujah, or amen, or something along those lines. You ready? With the arrival of Jesus the Messiah, that fateful dilemma of separation from God is resolved. Those who enter into Christ being here for us, that's Emmanuel, no longer have to live under a continuous, low-lying black cloud. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a fated lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. So what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition, and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? And who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen? Who would dare even to point a finger? The one who died for us, who was raised to life for us, is in the presence of God at this very moment, sticking up for us, do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There is no way. No trouble, no hard times, no hatred, no hunger, no homelessness, no bullying threats, no backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. They kill us in cold blood because they hate you. We're sitting ducks. They pick us off one by one. But none of this phases us. Because Jesus loves us. I need a more of a response to that one. Jesus loves us. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, 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 nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing, nothing, nothing can get between us and God's love because the way that Jesus, because of the way that Jesus, our Master, has embraced us. Amen. I want to look at some of the benefits. The first is this. Jesus 
himself is the bringer and giver of hope. Emmanuel, God with us, is the bringer and giver of hope. In Isaiah, the prophet prophesied centuries before this. Says this he said this, the root of Jesse, that's speaking of Jesus. The root of Jesse will spring up. One who will arise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles, that's you and me, non-Jews. In him, the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You notice all three of the Trinity involved there. Jesus it will arise and give hope to the Gentiles. God is the God of hope and the Holy Spirit will fill you with power, which is the hope by his power. If you don't have hope, you won't get joy and you won't get love. It's the very foundation of everything we do. The choir last night, the LG at London Community Gospel Choir, LG, whatever it is, LCGC. They were here last night and one of the songs they sang was a scripture verse about faith that we all know, if you've been around a while, you'll know this. It says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. That means the very foundation on which faith gets a grip is hope. Hope feeds our faith. And if your faith is failing, then probably somewhere your hope has failed. Hope is foundational. Faith is important, but hope is its foundation. Christmas, there's a lot of hope, isn't there? How many of you made a list? of things that you would like for Christmas. One of you, at least. Some, some of us have made a list, and we know there really isn't any hope, but we make them anyway. What about the weather? Do we agree with Bing Crosby? I'm not sure I do. I'm dreaming of a Christmas just like the one... Okay, we'll go any further. I'm not sure... <laughs> Some of you noting that down as a worship song for this year. We, there's, a, there's a website, this is the truth, called willigetawhitechristmas.com. If you go to it, not now, but in Cambridge, UK, there is a 25% chance that Cambridge will be white for Christmas. That means there's a 75% chance that it's going to be cloudy. I'm dreaming of a... Cloudy Christmas. That's more likely. What about this? Christmas calories. Who's hoping that after Christmas you will not have put on any weight? <laughs> Come forward now. Let's lay hands on you and rebuke the lie. What about our world today? Man alive. Do we need hope? Whatever your opinion on the events of this week where our government, through its democratic process, has decided that we will bomb in Syria. Whatever your opinion, it's still a tragedy for the human race. It's still sad that we're at war and the people will go to an eternity outside of Christ. We need hope. Terrorists, threats, are seemingly escalating every single day. Tension in the Middle East that is always there but seems to flare up in a moment. How could humanity be so inhumane to fellow human beings? 
we need hope. The world is drowning in a sea of negativity, and we all need hope. Hope looks forward. Hope sees good around the corner. Hope sees a light at the end of the tunnel and it's not an oncoming train. Hope sees the future as good. The Bible definition of hope is that it's future and certain from a good God. We all need hope. Chuck Swindle wants to find hope as this, standing on tiptoe, stirring, looking, expecting, anticipating. Hope sees the future as good. Hope makes a difference in our world. Webster's Dictionary defines hope as a desire accompanied by expectation. We're expectant of good things. We all need hope. Rick Warren says this, you can go 40 days without food, three days without water. You can go eight minutes without air, but you cannot go a single second without hope. Hope, guys, is one of the essentials of life. Hope is essential to living. When hope is gone, life is on the ebb. You need hope to cope. We need to stoke our hope regularly. People have said to me, you raise people's hopes all the time. Absolutely. While I'm on the face of this earth, may I be a, a hope raiser upper. That's my idea. I just want to raise up people's hopes, particularly in a good God. If you have no hope, you have no future. I read this week of a man called Roy Sullivan. Roy Sullivan was struck by lightning seven times in his life. What an unfortunate guy. Chances of being struck by lightning are 300,000 to one. 300, and he had it seven times. In this country, between 30 and 60 people are hit every year with, with uh, lightning on average three die as a result. This guy, however, seven times and didn't die. But at the age of 71, he committed suicide. At the age of 71, he'd entered into a relationship that went sour. And guess what? His hope ebbed away and he killed himself. This guy who was lucky in life, suddenly when his hope went, he died. A researcher called Harold Wolf is a professor in the United States. He studied 25,000 prisoners of war over an extended period, interviewed them, monitored their lifestyle. And in his concluding study, he wrote this. He said, when a man has hope, he's capable of bearing incredible burdens and cruel punishment. But when hope is gone, people fall apart, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. Now, I just want to tell you, every single one of you, in the sound of my voice, there is a devil in this world. Don't be fooled. People say, are you a modern 21st century church? Well, we live in the 21st century. We use technology. We use whatever we can. But we're not so scientific. We're not so advanced that we've ever stopped believing in a devil. And don't let anyone convince you that there isn't a devil or if he's got a pitchfork, there is a devil who's real, he's horrible, he's evil, and he does lots of bad stuff. And the devil wants to do exactly what I just read about there. He wants to rob you of your hope, your joy, and your love. And the devil is a liar from the start and a thief. It's his nature, and he'll always try to steal from you. He'll all, he, the Bible says God, Jesus came to give us life and life to the full, but that the devil came to rob, kill, and destroy. And there's an order there. If he can rob you, 
there's a chance he can kill and destroy you. And that's where he starts. He will try and rob your hope. It's his plan to destroy you. There's enmity between God and the devil, or the devil and God, and the people of God. He's always seeking to harm. Over this Christmas period, there'll come a moment on Christmas Day or on Boxing Day when my wife, who's sitting on the front row smiling at me, will say, should we play some games? Board games. She knows we hate board games, but she loves them. So we play them because it's not all about us, is it? No. So I hate, I've got to be honest, the only game I like a little bit is drafts or checkers to the American. I like drafts, usually because I win. I don't like to play any game that I haven't got a chance of winning in. And Anne usually wins in most of them. That's why she likes to play. One game I've never really played, though, Josh, our son got into this for a few years, and we bought these sets as we've gone round. One game that he likes to play, and others of you I know like to play, is the game of chess. Drafts is quick, and chess is thoughtful, slow, careful. Well, one thing I do understand from the game of chess is that the primary objective in chess is to checkmate your opponent's king. And when a king can't avoid capture, then it's checkmated. And that's the end of the game. When the king is hemmed in, unprotected, and nowhere to move, or if he does it, it'd be taken, then that's the end of the game, you're checkmated. And that's exactly what the devil wants to do to you. He wants to hem you in, he wants to surround you, so you think, wherever I go, it's disaster. Wherever I go, it's failure. Wherever I go, I'm checkmated. I can't move. That, that's the devil's nature. He screams, you're trapped. There's nowhere to go. But I'd like to suggest, whenever the devil says, you're trapped, that we should have a response. And the response should be, I don't think so. I don't think so. Now, I know this. We're in pantomime season, aren't we? So we're going to do something for the rest of this sermon. When I say checkmate, I want you to say, so you've got to concentrate, I don't think so. So let's practice. You ready? Checkmate. Pretty, that's pretty good for a British Sunday morning or afternoon as it is now. I thought I would have to encourage you to be a little bit more uh, strong with that. Like yesterday, we're walking past Maplins, my wife and I, and I said, I need to get a part for my surround sound. It's expensive. I'm just going to go in and get that. And she said, I don't think so. And I'd like you to say it with the same conviction that she said it yesterday. <laughs> so whenever I say checkmate, you say... The passage we read from the book of Romans stated this, if God is for me, who can be against me? What that means is, is God is going to have the last word. God is never out of moves. God has never done all that he can do. A doctor, a medical doctor, may sit down with you face to face. You may have been through lots of treatment. You may have been through all kinds of tablets or chemo or whatever you've been through. And the doctor may sit opposite you and say, I've done all I can do. Which to me sounds a lot like checkmate. Come on. I don't think so. You may... 
be having marriage difficulties and you've gone to marriage counseling, you've gone to relate, you've been every avenue you can, you can go to and you're sitting with the counselor and the counselor after weeks and months, maybe years, says to you, I don't know what else I can do. It sounds a lot to me like checkmate. You may be sitting looking at your bank account and realize your assets have been seized. You need to go into bankruptcy. You've got nothing more you can do. It looks a lot like checkmate. What about Moses in the Bible? Moses is being pursued, and the children of Israel, they've been released from captivity. Pharaoh and the army, the superpower army, are behind them. And they get to this Red Sea. There's nowhere else to go. There's no way back. There's no way to the side or the left. Just the Red Sea in front of them. And the devil laughs and shouts to them, look, you're trapped. There's nowhere else to go. You can't go forward. Effectively, that was checkmate. Church, when we as a church meet here every week, we're always getting guests. And we love having guests. Welcome. But some of them will come in with life-controlling issues. Some of them will come in having suffered abuse. Maybe some of them will come in hating church from experience they've had before. And somehow they found themselves in here again. Some will come in with broken marriages. Some will come in with their heads down. And some of them will come in effectively thinking, I'm in a checkmate situation. And we will say to them, Absolutely. We'll say to them, heaven always has an escape. We'll say to them, grace is always enough. We'll say to them, you can start again. This is the Bible. You can be a new creation. The old can be passed away. The old is gone. The new is here to stay. Your destiny is dependent on whom you agree with. And I would suggest agree with God, not the devil. Agree with God. Now, I want to go through a Bible story that for me, demonstrates hope on a magnificent level. It's the story of Lazarus. It's the account of Lazarus. Lazarus lived with his sisters in a place called Bethany. His sisters were Mary and Martha. And Lazarus and Mary and Martha were really good friends of Jesus. Whenever Jesus traveled to Bethany, guess where he stayed? At the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. So he was tight with these guys. These were really good friends. And at the time of the story of, of Lazarus in John chapter 11, Jesus hasn't been to Bethany for some time. He hasn't been because the last time that he went, there was opposition from the rulers and authority around, and they tried to kill him. So he's kept away a little while. And one day, Lazarus gets sick. And Lazarus is so sick, it's not like man flu. This is a really life threatening condition. He's been to the doctors, and the doctors said, there's nothing more I can do. Effectively, the doctor said, checkmate. So what they do is, the sisters say, Mary and Martha are totally desperate. They say, why don't we go to the one who offers hope? Why don't we contact Jesus? So they send a message to Jesus. This is the message. Hear it. They sent words to Jesus. This is John 11, verse 3. Lord, the one you love sick. doesn't even name him. Have you ever done this to someone? If you love me. Is there only me that's done that? And if you love me, you would let me go to Naplins and buy that expensive pot. That's called manipulation. Hello? She really loved me, yeah. 
It's like they're trying to manipulate. You know the one you love, Jesus, Lazarus? He's sick. Really sick. They know he's done it for strangers. He's done it for people that didn't even deserve it. He's a healing God. Surely Jesus will heal him, his best buddy. Jesus does a really strange thing when he hears the news. He stays put. When he heard that Lazarus was sick, this is what it says, he stayed where he was two more days. Hello? If someone's sick and you think you're the healer and he's your friend, you need to get there quick, but he stays two more days. And he waits. After two days, he eventually says to his disciples, I'm needed in Bethany. Let's go. Hello, you were right two days ago. I'm needed in Bethany. Let's go. And they say to him, Rabbi, a short while ago, the religious leaders tried to stone you, and yet you're going back there. And he says, I'm needed. I'm going. And Thomas, who we often call Doubting Thomas, and I feel sorry for Doubting Thomas, as we call him. I think he's a good guy. He says this. He's a little bit like Eeyore sometimes. He says, come along. Let's go with him. We might as well die with him. This is going to be a great gig, this one. So they go. They're not thrilled, but they go. By the time they get to Bethany, hear this. By the time they get there, Lazarus has been dead for four days. In other words, checkmate. You're getting quieter as we go along, so checkmate. Martha comes out to meet Jesus. And she says to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Oh, that's a very telling statement. If only. In this room, there are lots of us that have if onlys. If only I hadn't have said those words, but they were out before I could hold them back. If only I'd forgiven them and I hadn't lived for all this time with bitterness in my heart. If only I'd have made wiser choices. If only I hadn't slept with that guy or slept with that girl. If only I'd have told them before they died, I love them. If only I'd have said, please forgive me. If only I hadn't have had that abortion. If only I could have saved my marriage. If only, if only, if only. And sometimes you feel as though your if onlys are the end of the story. Sometimes you feel your if only is your checkmate. Moments. Martha knew what to do with her, if only. Do you hear what she says? I, I love that. She says, Lord. Lord means ruler, boss, controller, the one who's in charge. Lord, if only. Here's my advice to all of us. With all our if onlys, bring them to Jesus Christ, the Lord, the light of the world. Lay him at his feet. You know when those guys threw the prostitute at Jesus' feet? the one who was caught in adultery. They didn't know what they were doing. Don't throw a sinner at the feet of Jesus because all you're going to get is grace and mercy. Don't take him there. That's the worst place. If you want to get punished, don't take him to Jesus because Jesus 
is the one who forgives. If only, take him to Jesus. She maybe thought, if only I'd have gone and asked Jesus myself. And Jesus says this to her, Martha, your brother will rise again. Hip, hip. Your brother will rise again. And she gets all religious. Oh, I know. In the resurrection, he will rise again. All pious, I know, one day. Yes, in the sweet by Yes, Lord. And she, he says to her, uh-uh. I've got something else to tell you. And I'm going to read a verse to you guys now, which is one of the most profound, life-changing verses you'll ever hear in the Bible. From the Bible. Jesus said this statement of hope. Ready? I am. We're going to look at some I am's in the new year, by the way. It's all about Jesus. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives and believes in me will live and never die. And then he asks the the question, do you believe this? Before the end of today, guys, I want to ask all of you, the front to the back, do you believe this? Do you believe this? And you'll have an opportunity if you've never said yes to say, yeah, I believe Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And notice, he doesn't just point her to the one day. This becomes a present reality. He says, I am. This is a now word. He's the resurrection and the life now. He can get you out of your moments of death now. And even if you die, he's the God of resurrection. He can bring you through it. No one else in history has ever made this claim. No other religious leader, no intellectual, not Buddha or Muhammad has ever said, I am the resurrection and the life. Only Jesus. Do you believe this? I read that passage often at funerals because it's full of hope. I will, if, if you ask me to do your funeral, I'll read that passage. And I'll know... Excuse me, John, I don't mind using talking about your funeral. We won't plan it now. But I know, sorry, Jen. If, oh, let's, let's pretend it's not John. No, no, you're going to die. You are going to die. Not in the next week or so. But, you know, he's dead, but he's a believer. So I know he believed. So he doesn't become an angel when he dies. Can I just say, anyone's going to, I'm going to take your funeral or your grand's funeral. Or, don't read a poem about your grand becoming an angel. Uh-uh, because she doesn't. If she's a believer, she, in a, by her faith in Jesus Christ, continues to live. Even though you die, yet shall you live. It's not disconnected spirits in heaven, it's people. How do I know this? Because there's a person in heaven, his name is Jesus. He's got a body that you could touch and feel. And the body, he can go anywhere. You say, well, angels are pretty good. Ah, redemptive individuals, people that are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. It's better for us. I don't want to be an angel. I, I want to, f- I don't know what that was, but I, I, I don't want to fly like an angel. I want to fly like a human being that's given a brand new redemptive body one day. You don't because James, John is never going to be an angel. <laughs> He may dress up as a fairy at Christmas, but he's never going to be an angel. That wasn't a word of knowledge, anything like that. We are sons and daughters of God by faith in Jesus Christ. And our future, this is hope, guys. This is standing on tiptoe stuff. Look, one day we're going to get new redemptive bodies. 
So even if you die, yet shall you live. Hope! Hope! Stoke your hope. She says to Jesus, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the God, Son of God who has come into the world. Do you believe it? Can I just say, if you're not sure that you believe, get sure. Get sure. Pursue Jesus and find out about him. Jesus finds the sisters, of course, even though they're in this place, weeping, mourning. They're crying. And by the way, when they're crying, they're not just not a little bit of tear. This is in a Jewish context. They're wailing. If any of you have ever been to the wailing wall, you do see it. They're wailing. They're in agony. And Jesus, get this, I've always wondered this. Jesus knows in a minute or two, he's going to say, Lazarus, come forth. Isn't he? If you know the story, he's going to say, come out of the tomb, come out of the grave. He knows that. And yet, what does Jesus do? This is what it says. Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible that people often use as a swear word. How dare they? But Jesus burst into tears. Jesus knew Lazarus was going to be okay. Why? Here's why. Jesus walked this earth, flesh and blood, human being, and he knows what it's like to lose someone you've loved. And he knows what it's like to be human because he was human. And at this moment, he is relating to the agony and the anguish that these sisters and the others are experiencing of separation. And he weeps. He weeps in a, in a few verses, a few chapters later, Jesus looks over Jerusalem and he, he weeps again. And he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that I would gather you like a hen gathers a chicks. It's a beautiful picture. I saw something on Facebook the other day of a, of a hen that was doing that, just guarding the chicks, bringing under. It's, a beautiful, it's God saying, Jesus saying, oh, Jerusalem, I want to protect you. I want to keep you warm. I want to give you comfort. I want to give you safety. Come home. And he weeps again. When was the last time we wept, church? When was the last time we thought, not just of ourselves and our comforts, but of those that God wants to gather like a chick? Oh, that we would weep. Can I say to you, Jesus weeps for Syria. Jesus weeps for Syria. Don't let's get hatred in our heart. We know they serve a God, many of them we do not believe in. Not all of them. There's Christians in there. We know that there are injustices being done, but the people that are dying are still people that God loves. And there's no pleasure or delight in the heart of God for anyone that goes to death outside of saying, I believe. I don't have all the answers for who goes to where and what and when, but I know God is a God of compassion. And he longs to gather. And then the next thing he says after he weeps is roll the stone away. Four days in a warm climate. If Lazarus is dead, it's going to stink. It's going to stink. 
the, the, the Jews had an idea that the spirit of a man would hang around or a woman for three days. After three days, they thought that there was a legend. On day four, it would depart because the body would be far too decomposed. And he says, roll the stone away. And then he stands there. And, and he says, this is a strange thing. He says, Father, I know that you've heard me. Excuse me. I know that you've heard me. He hasn't prayed anything yet. He hasn't said anything. All he said is, roll the stone away. Why, Father, I know that you've heard me. Well, I wonder, I just wonder whether in the two days when he delayed and then there was a two-day journey, so Lazarus had been dead four days, I wonder whether the first thing Jesus did when he heard was pray, may your kingdom come and don't allow Lazarus' body to die and decay. Keep him, Lord, protect him. So he knows the prayer he's prayed for Lazarus in the tomb has been answered. Maybe he just knows that. Maybe Lazarus has been sitting there for a day or two already with the grave clothes around him thinking, when are they going to come and get me out of here? I don't know. It's conjecture. Or maybe it was just they rolled the stone away and there's no smell that comes out. So Jesus knows at that moment, hey, he's alive. So he just says the word, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus comes out of the tomb. Wow. Wow. I wonder if they had an amazing party. Got some bad news for you. Lazarus eventually did die. I don't know whether he claimed insurance on the first death and, and whether he got it on the second death, I'm not sure, but he did die. Because this is not the ultimate resurrection story. The ultimate resurrection story is Jesus, because he not only lived life and then went through death, but he conquered death and came out the other side. That's why we have hope. He's the ultimate resurrection story. And he's not subject to death anymore. I want to read to you, as I close, a story by John Oldberg. He recites from, quoting from a bishop in the United States, Bishop Ken Ulmer, who's the pastor of a mostly African-American congregation in Los Angeles. And Ben uh, Ken Ulmer tells the story about two men who were at an art museum. And as they were going around this art museum, there was a painting on the wall, which will come up on the screen behind me, of a chess game. And one of them is representing the devil, and the other is representing a man. And they're in the middle of this chess game. One character, as I say, is the devil, the other a man. And this, these two guys are looking at the painting, and one of the guys who's looking at the painting is an international chess champion. And he looks at this painting, and he, he, he's just considering for a moment, his friend says, what's the matter? He says, there's something not right. And he's looking for ages at this painting, backwards and forwards. And his friend says, can we move on? He says, no, just leave me here. And he goes away. His friend goes away and he comes back. He says, what's the matter? He says, there's something about this picture. And I'm determined that either the painting needs to be changed or renamed. Because the name of the painting, guess what it was called, was Checkmate checkmate. But the title, the guy said, is wrong. Why? Because the painter has either got to change it, he said, or change the title because the king still has one more move. The king still has one more move. 
Now, when Ken, what's his name, told this story in his church, which was a mo mostly African-American, when he said, the king has still got one more move, it went wild and ballistic, just like this. <laughs> just, just the same. You swear you were in Los Angeles in America, in an American-African church. Just so you're not confused. <laughs> this is really good news. The king has one more move. Not bad. John Ortberg writes this. A little boy named David up against the giant Goliath. David is in trouble. He tries to put on Saul's armor, but Saul's are 52 long and David's are 36 short. He can't even handle a grown-up sword. It looks like checkmate. But the king still has one more move. A man named Daniel gets thrown into a den of lions because he refuses to stop praying to his God. The lions are hungry. He's in there all night. At the first light of dawn, Darius calls down, Daniel, Daniel. Daniel tells him it's okay that the lions have been put on a low-protein diet and he's fine because although the devil thought it was checkmate, the king still has one more move. Jesus, ultimately, in going to Judea to see Lazarus, ended up dead, cost him his life, and he knew it would. On Good Friday, they tried him, judged him, whipped him, beat him. They mocked him, scorned him. They hung him on a cross to die and laid him low in a tomb to rot like every other human being has rotted ever since death entered this sorry, dark world. And they said to everyone, that's it, over, go away. Time to go. They effectively said, checkmate. Because the king had one more move. Musicians, I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know what's happening in your life. Maybe you're facing extreme stress at work. Maybe your marriage is falling apart. Maybe there's a son or a daughter that's gone a long way from God or who's struggling and is estranged to you. Maybe this Christmas you're thinking, if only we could be together, but they're no longer wanting to speak to you. Maybe you have financial pressures. Maybe you've done the wrong thing or said the wrong thing or made a mistake that feels so big, you think, could it ever be redeemed? Maybe you sat in that doctor's surgery and they've said, there's nothing more we can do. Checkmate. Maybe. You're in that situation where your hope has been so pressed out of you that you're weary and your joy is gone. Maybe life's going great. Let me just say this. Latest statistics about death is that it's 100%. We're all going to die. But we have hope because death isn't the end. It's a doorway. So there's hope in any and every situation. Whatever you're facing today, the promise to Jesus stands. Whoever puts their trust in him, there is hope, even when it feels like checkmate. And I want some of you today, you know you need to respond. And this is how I'm going to ask you to respond. If your hope has been beaten out of you and kicked out of you, then I want to say you need to stand up on the inside and on the outside and say, I don't think so. 
and raise your hope again in the God of resurrection. Can we stand together? If you're in this room and you know you need today to make a response to God for hope to rise, I'm going to ask you right now, be brave. This isn't a hand in the air moment today. I'm going to ask you as we just pause for a moment before we sing to come out of your seats and come down to the front. Don't be embarrassed thinking, what will people think about me? It's more important that you react in faith and trust in God. Would you come to the front right now? I'll stop speaking. Come out. Come on. Come on. Come on, there's more of you. Stand right in the middle. Pause a little bit longer. You know God's speaking to you. Come on. into the front guys let those behind you have space I'm not rushing now what I want is everyone of the church here if you know or even if you don't know these guys down here I want you to come out and stand and lay a hand on them you're just saying I identify with you I'm with you just put a hand on their shoulder. Don't want anybody here. And then we're going to pray in Jesus' name. Don't want anyone here at the front not having someone with a hand laid on them. Come on, press right in. There's guys down the front here. In Jesus' name. Speak against the fear of death that's in someone's heart and mind right now. We break its hold in Jesus' name. We speak the fear of failure, and I'm going to fail and I'm going to fall. I've got no hope. I'm going to follow in the footsteps of my dad or my mum where they failed. I'm not going to make it. I break the lie of someone that's saying here in their own mind, I'm a fake. It's not true break the lie that's over you in Jesus' name. And I speak over every single one that's out the front here and every hand that's laid on them. And we say, let hope rise. Hope rise. Hope for marriages. Hope for healing. We speak against cancer. Those that are thinking, I'm going to be alone all my life. Hope for relationships. Those that are, are, are fearful of the future. Hope, 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 hope. Come on. Let hope rise in Jesus' name. Every single one that's reaching out in faith to you right now, Lord. Let hope in the resurrection and the life rise within them. We rebuke a devourer. We rebuke an enemy who wants to rob, kill, and destroy. And where he wants to rob, we say life. Where he brings death, we say life. Where he brings destruction, we say life, life, life. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the life. He's alive and well and working and operating 
and we speak over you life in Jesus' name. Because our hope is built on nothing less but Jesus Christ and His righteousness. Come on, let's give Him the glory.